0: Last week, we talked about understanding the success you actually want to build. This week, we have a conversation about the importance and the how-to of building a powerful community. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes?
1: A job change and a couple pivots into for-profit leadership later... We're on the search to get that question answered.
0: If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you.
1: We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it.
0: I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement.
1: Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited because today I get to interview my favorite person. Uh, Ted has had 13 years of nonprofit leadership experience, and this is with musicians. So um, he's led well over 100 volunteers, while at the same time being able to build in systems and scalability that worked for him and for the people he was leading. Uh, Wherever Ted goes, he builds up community, which is really exciting to see because whether it's on his YouTube channel, in a nonprofit setting, or with entrepreneurs, a business group that he helps out with. He is always building community in a way that helps people win. So, Ted, uh, you're also the the co-founder of Legacy Builders. I feel like I should mention that. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about today.
1: I'm really excited about today, too, because you grilled me last week and asked me all the questions, (laughs) and now I get to return the favor.
0: Oh, man, dang it.
1: So, one thing that we wanted to do coming into your end was be able to share a little bit about ourselves, but then also the uniqueness about us, because I'm very much into more the financial side and that kind of thing. Ted is just so good when it comes to community building. Um, incredibly smart. So, Ted, would you share uh, just kind of about yourself, how you got up to this place?
0: Yeah. So, on a bleak December 27th, 1986, <laughs> I came into the world. My mom says that I, I came out singing. <laughs> which is so weird weird. I was probably crying, which probably actually crying. makes way more sense. But uh, no, no, that's that's going way, way back too far. So anyway, just uh, <laughs> to kind of give you the cliff notes version of my life up to this point, when I was about 10 or 11, well, I started doing music stuff when I was five, I started taking piano lessons, fell in love with music when I was 10 years old, I decided I wanted to be a worship leader. ...at a church, and that just kind of started me down this pathway of learning instruments and trying to get better at, you know, playing and stuff like that. Um, let's see, in high school, we went to an arts high school. I learned a lot more about music there, and we put together ensembles and, and uh, you know, just kind of orchestrated stuff there. And then in college... I remember I took kind of this really weird turn because I was trying to learn how to shred on electric guitar and um, all of a sudden I had like I kind of hit a wall where I was like I don't care about this enough to practice for this long doing just metronome and scales over and over and over again all of a sudden it was like a light bulb went off in my brain and I I like to think it was God kind of downloading this into my head saying listen you're, you're pretty good at a lot of instruments. And a lot of people would say you're really good at a lot of instruments. But really what you're gifted in is the ability to rally the people who are extremely good at the instruments. And then all of a sudden I looked back over my years in college, my years in high school, even when I was in choir and, you know, we would get together in little groups and like I would help kind of orchestrate, like, hey guys, let's do like a cool little trio thing. And we would just kinda get together and people who were better than me in the choir would kind of jump on board and stuff. And it was all of a sudden I was like, wow, I'm really good at bringing good people around to, to make a thing better rather than just doing it all myself and being the, the most talented guy in the room or whatever, Right. And so, I started leaning into leadership resources, started reading a ton of books about how to develop volunteers, develop leaders, and how to rally people around a cause, cast vision, uh, bring all these things into, into fruition. So, like, a vision and a mission can actually get accomplished with really skillful people. Um, one of the things that I'm most proud of with my years at the church was that our volunteer team grew to a really large size we had multiple locations bands sound technicians lighting engineers um you know production managers people who really needed to know their stuff and had to be technologically savvy excuse me they they came onto the team and they learned and they grew on the team and this was like these are people who had to be technically skilled and so I considered their volunteer time to be very valuable to get the same level of people but have to pay would have cost the church hundreds of thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. and um, I considered that a donation on their part, and I treated it like that. I treated it with the respect that they deserved, bringing their skill that they had developed over years and years onto our stage and into our production of the services. So, anyway, moving a little bit forward, <clears throat> just this last uh, couple years. You know, Lisa and I were having a conversation about what are the things that break your heart the most about life? Because a lot of times the things that breaks your heart the most, the thing that you have maybe like a holy discontent for is kind of a tip off to what you should be doing, what you should be trying to change in the world. And I remember saying to her, you know, I think the thing that makes me the most sad is when a parent has a really strong faith and they love God and they want to see their kids love God and for some reason they don't pass the torch well. Hmm. And the parent is distraught about it. And you can't make your kids believe something, mm-hmm. but there is a way to pass the torch of something that really matters to you like that. And there's a way to pass the torch in a way that it transfers down multiple generations three, four, five generations. Um, people have done it, right? Mm-hmm. People have done it for generations. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, why? man I would love to be able to fix that in the world if someone cares about something so deeply that their entire life is going to revolve around that how can we help them to pass it down instead of just when they hit the ground so does this thing they care about it's done it's over Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how Legacy Builders was born and how we got to where we are now just this last year. During 2020, uh, we went fully self-employed, so I'm no longer working at the church, but I still do help out. and We still are a big part of what happens there. And, and really, we're excited because it opens us up to be able to help out a lot of different places mm-hmm. and to work with a lot of different church leaders and a lot of different nonprofit leaders and a lot of for-profit leaders all across uh, the world. And so the podcast has been a huge uh thing as well we've been able to meet lots of great people and uh man i'm just honored to be being interviewed on an <laughs> on an itunes number one ranked podcast i'm an interview guest
1: right <laughs>
0: <laughs> i never thought about the fact that we could just interview me and then i'd be able to say that too I, well like, i've been man. i've been interviewed on a number one podcast
1: <laughs> i've spoken on a few episodes from time to time <laughs> um one thing that i love that you so when you are talking about leadership um there came a point when you had to realize that you weren't going to be the best at something in particular. Um, How did you handle that? Because I think a lot of times we think the person with the most leadership is the person who does it the best. And that's not always the case. So how did you handle that personally, recognizing I'm not going to be striving for this type of excellence? And then what advice would you give to someone who needs to be able to rally people around them who are greater than them?
0: So, the hard part was definitely just coming to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to be the best solo lead guitar player, but part of it was okay by me, too, because I've always been sort of like a jump from one thing to the next. It's kind of my entrepreneurial spirit in musical form, so I would, like, dig really hard into guitar for, like, a year, and then I'd dig really hard into drums, and i dig really hard into piano. And it's kind of how I was able to kind of rank up in those instruments, but it was because I would take breaks from them that I didn't become like the best in my circle of friends that played music and stuff. And part of it, too, is that you're never going to see yourself as the best. Even the greatest musicians in the world still look around them and say, "No, I got a lot to learn. You know, there are people that are better than me or if they're not better than me at this one style, they're better at this other style or whatever. So that was kind of tough. Um, but it was kind of the lesson that I needed to learn moving forward because leadership is also about that. Because when just like musically, um, if I can learn how to leverage my ability to communicate and build community and build trust with a group of people and and have them all have a great time and feel really good about what they're doing, and what they're serving and offering people. If I can do that with a band, I can also do that with leaders, and mm-hmm. so we can spread things out. So that's when things kind of took a change too at the church. When at first I started out just leading the musicians, but then it kind of grew into then I was leading production managers and lighting engineers and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know anything about lighting engineering. I don't know. I know enough to make something sound a little bit better with a soundboard, but I don't know enough about. You knew enough sound to make
1: it a little bit better or completely <laughs> break it.
0: <laughs> yeah, <none>. exactly. <laughs> and so I really needed to figure out how how does the people side of this work? And I'd gone to college for human resources management and that didn't help that at all that was just a lot of uh stuff about red tape and cobra <laughs> and <laughs> and all the human resources pay, pay scales and employee management um but uh the leadership stuff that i was learning i was learning from Jim Collins, the author of *Good to Great*, I was learning from uh, Ed Young wrote a really great uh, couple books about leadership. Um, there's this really awesome book called *It* by Craig Groeschel. Super, super good stuff in there. A lot of a lot of Christian leader uh, books from these people who have built large churches that function with tons of volunteerism, tons of fundraising, tons of giving, all these things culminating together to make a really successful organization, mm-hmm. um, and especially because churches rely so heavily on volunteer stuff. It had a lot to offer.
1: For right. I was going to say that because churches rely so much on volunteers and nonprofits do, it's interesting because a lot of the structures have to be people and community-based, and you end up with these super deep organizational structures when you build them, um, but since people aren't being paid money there has to be something else that you're seeing. And what we've seen a lot with successful companies is when they bring in some of those principles into the company is that the companies actually can become more successful. Um, yeah. Because they're not just saying, I'm paying you money, therefore you owe me this much time. But they're building in a deeper why.
0: Yeah, the way that I see it, it's like you have your you have your payment package, you have your benefit, benefits package, and then you have your vision package. And if it's like if you... If you can learn how to have a good benefits package and a good payment package, most businesses have figured that out to be able to get decent employees around if that's what they're looking for, right? Um, But if they can learn how to build a good vision package and the people wake up in the morning and they can't wait to get to work because they know what they're doing is making a difference and they know what they're doing is helping somebody and they know what they're doing, you know, like that makes a really big difference from sales all the way down to janitorial staff. Like if you have built in vision into what you do, for-profit, nonprofit, whatever, uh, people are going to be a lot more effective because they care. They care about what they're doing. They're not just showing up for a paycheck.
1: Mm-hmm. It really does make a huge difference. So um, I totally cut off the second part of the question earlier. Um, if someone right now is at a place where like, okay, so that all sounds good. I'm buying into the idea that you can lead people who are more excellent than you or maybe better skilled in some areas or even the whole idea of vision. What advice would you have for that person who's like, I need to I need to bring in a team like I need to build this team. I need to get the right people. What do I do?
0: Oh, gosh, there are a million things you could do, right? You could start trying to make friends. You could start trying to uh, figure out who you need and what positions. The most important thing to figure out is who are the people who are your advocates and who are. Like behind you, no matter what. Those are your core people. They may never serve on a team with you. They may never donate to your organization. They may never work for you or be an employee of yours or be a board member or whatever. But they're the kind of people that no matter what you do, they're like, You got this. I'm encouraging you. Like that's where you start because the who question is the first question you always need to ask. And if you don't have any sort of team around you so far, That's who you need to assemble. That's your Avengers assemble. You need to get them (laughs) together uh, first. But then, then you really start need to be need to start thinking about what do I want to build and what kind of culture is required to make that happen? Because now the people that you bring in have to be able to uh, amalgamate to that culture and perpetuate it and make it stronger. Um, So if you want like a really joy filled, high energy atmosphere, your employees or your volunteers or your especially like your your leaders that you're bringing on, like they have to be that they have to personify that. Otherwise, you get mopey people that just bring everybody down and make everybody want to like leave. That's not somebody you want to bring on. And even though you might feel desperate right now just to have a warm body in your organization, trust me. If you get the right person in there, it multiplies. If you get the wrong person in there, it stagnates. And that's a, that's especially true with leadership, mm-hmm. um, to just be really careful about who you bring on. You want a long hello, and if you got wrong people on the ship right now, you need to have quick goodbyes.
1: Yep, keep them short.
0: <laughs> keep, keep them short, because that might be another piece of you might be saying, I have a team. And they suck. Yep. <laughs> that happens.
1: Even your volunteers. Like, I know you've had to let go of a few volunteers over the years. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but it's true. Like, long hellos. And even for volunteers, you can have a quick way to get them in. But long hello being they're not just immediately given leadership, high influence.
0: Yeah, lots kind of, of authority thing. and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Once
1: they have their who and their culture in place, <clears> what do you think they need next?
0: Oh, gosh, you're just going to make me run through all of these well, things. Well,
1: <laughs> I have an idea, but I'm going to let you talk. Well,
0: then you need to really start thinking about your systems yeah. and making your organization stronger. So if you do not have good uh, standard operating procedures in place, if you don't have good um, methods of communication and, um, and, and I'm not just talking about automated systems, I'm talking about even like people systems, mm-hmm. because I think people can get really in the weeds and they can try to automate everything through machines. But you also have to have really good people systems. You know, who talks to who? You have to have good hierarchical structures that make sense, where the right people are leading the right people, and the wrong people aren't in charge of uh, the right people, you know? Because that'll make the right people want to leave mm-hmm. if you got somebody who's you know, not <laughs> qualified or not exemplifying your culture correctly, and they're leading somebody who's a quality person, that quality person is out of there.
1: They're out so fast.
0: And you want to retain those great people. So that you know, a high turnover rate of good quality uh, staff or volunteers or employees or whatever, a high turn- turnover rate of the people that you like is a big red flag that you get system problems. Mm-hmm.
1: That was what I was looking for. Um, and I knew it would come up soon because I've seen you
0: build. <laughs> You're like, I, I know the answer that I want <laughs> you to say, so I'm going to strategically move all the pieces so <laughs> no, that you say it.
1: <laughs> I've just seen you build teams multiple times from the ground up over the last 13 years. Like, yeah. you'll take a team that has nothing and be like, all right, here's what we need in place. And within two weeks, it's starting to function. And within a month, it's running. Um, But what I was going to say is it's interesting because you're right, you have to have the who and then the culture, but if you rely on the who and the culture or that strong vision, if you rely on that and then assume that the highly skilled people are going to stick around regardless of where you put them and how you use their time, you're Mm -hmm. missing it. Like The systems really are the thing that show um, the people who are high-capacity people that you value them.
0: And I I learned that the hard way. I mean, I had some really... Quality volunteers leave even like on the YouTube channel that we run like we're building community there as well and we've had some people that were just like super uh, supportive of the channel and all that stuff like kind of just disappear and I, I had to do the work of figuring out why why did they disappear was it just like they weren't jiving with what we were doing or was it something that we could have and should have changed that would have kept them around And unfortunately, I'd say I was about 50-50. Sometimes they they leave and it's like, hey, that's actually, that was good. That was good for everybody (laughs) that they left. And then other times they leave and you realize that was something I should have changed because that was a quality person. I had a systems problem. One of the big challenges with the YouTube side, so... As of the time of this recording, uh, I have a gaming YouTube channel that has uh, over 64,000 subscribers, which is cool and exciting, and we play video games and all that stuff is fun. But what a lot of people don't see is the -the behind-the-scenes stuff where we have worked with and really try to develop strong relationships with a few key uh, individuals that um, are really supportive of the channel, but we try to invest extra in those people because we see them not just as fans of the channel or supporters of the channel, but as pillars like they they really are important members of the community that other people look up to and respect and um so we've really tried to invest and build in building community there and I think we're we're doing it's 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 a different world to try mm-hmm. to build community online but um, it's starting to work and it's and and I'm starting to see some of that stuff take off and it's really cool when you realize that you can leverage community to accomplish really really great things like raising money, doing fundraisers, or doing charity events, and, and that kind of stuff. And it's so much easier. Yeah. When, you, when you've developed the community, then when you go to ask for funds, they're already bought in. You don't have to really even convince them. They're just like, yeah, whatever you're for, I'm for.
1: Yep. Here's money. The trust is already there. It's just kind of a like, oh, you're doing mm-hmm. that? Here, let me help. Right. Um, When you're having those conversations with people... Because I know in a volunteer setting, you have some people that stick around and you're asking like, hey, what would you like to see happen? You know, that kind of thing. But I know that you've had people leave and you reach out to them and say, hey, what could I have done differently? What could I have changed? What could have been done differently? How do you figure out the point where you implement what they say versus the point where you just let it kind of drop to the ground?
0: So I tried really hard and I still try really hard, even even with like the YouTube channel stuff too. Try to have an exit interview if somebody like, you know, puts up a fuss and like leaves because we we have a discord community where more of the fans kind of hang out when we're not, you know, just in the YouTube comments or whatever. And if someone leaves in a fuss, I try to follow up with the person, say like, hey, what's going on? Is there something that I could have fixed? And I actually listen and I know I know when I'm hearing something that is a personal issue on that on that person's side versus an issue that, well, that's something I need to fix. Um, I'm trying to think of some good examples, but basic, like I think the big one is: was this person like a really quality member of the community? Because if they were, you better listen. Yeah.
1: Or like your highest level volunteers, like the yeah. people who are the most skilled, the highest leadership potential. The- yeah,
0: here's here's a great example. So when I was leading in um, leading the music ministry stuff at our church. There was uh, one point where just a couple who who served all the time, they were amazing, um, were leaving, and I dug in to figure out what was going on. And she had mentioned a couple things that I was sort of like, okay, that's something you're just you're not going to be happy at this church because of just the way that we do church, and it doesn't jive. That's okay. That's totally fine. Uh, but then she mentioned a couple things that were how the team that I was leading was functioning that I didn't know about or I hadn't placed enough value and I was like you know what these may not have kept them around but boy am I glad that you said this and I thanked her I said listen I'm not trying to get you to stick around but I just want you to know thank you for telling me that because I'm going to change that right away because other people I don't want to see other people frustrated like you were frustrated. So I'm really appreciative of you sharing that with me. And like that went a really long way. Like I feel like that relationship could have been completely like just like burnt bridge. But now when I see when I see her, it's like generally a good experience still. It's not Mm -hmm. like, oh, remember that awkward conversation we had on the phone. Exit interviews are incredible.
1: Well, one thing that I've seen time and time again is through your exit interviews, you've been able to maintain relationship with the vast majority of people who have stepped out of volunteering. Um, I mean, which is tough as a a nonprofit leader. (laughs) Like, you have people leave. And because everything is so community and relationship-based, there is that personal level.
0: I'll add another level of this, too. When it comes to volunteerism especially, exit interviews is one of your best retention tools. Mm. Because people don't feel comfortable complaining about your team while they're on it. But after they said, I've quit they will let you know what actually bothered them. I had, I would say about 50% of the people I had exit interviews with ended up serving again. They just, they needed to feel safe to tell the person in charge what they didn't like. Mm -hmm. And then when that person listened and said, hey, I'm sorry that happened. I want to fix that. Listen, you don't have to come back and serve, but I just want you to know that that's important to me and you're important to me enough that I want to fix that. And if you end up wanting to come back i would love for your feedback in making sure that i fixed that <laughs> you know <laughs> right. and that actually led to people serving more and with more passion than they did before they quit mm-hmm. so
1: could you talk words worth? really briefly about uh three... that's hard for me to do but I'll i try. know i know i'm asking the impossible. <laughs> really briefly um about 360 reviews
0: 360 reviews Okay, so 360 degree reviews. If you're not familiar,
1: just because I know that you care a lot about, and they're so good for at least people to know about.
0: They're, the, yeah, they're really amazing. And I and I secretly do these with different things that I do. Um, I'm not going to say exactly where because then they're not secret anymore. <laughs> but, um, well, I'll say one. I'll we do 360 degree reviews with our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's how it works: you ask the person above the person in the hierarchical structure, the person next to the person in the hierarchical structure, and the person below the person in the hierarchical structure, how that person is doing, uh, whatever tasks, or leadership, or interpersonal, whatever, and you get different answers based on, you know, are they in charge of this person, or are they being led, or are they a peer, and the the feedback that can come back from that is really, really great. Now, the the best part about a 360 degree review is when the person gets that feedback and can see what their superiors think what their peers think and what their uh, subordinates think they're able to implement some of those things and they make make those changes themselves but the idea is that it's anonymous right so you don't know like oh Jack hates me it's like yeah. <laughs> one of the people that I work with finds this thing really annoying. Um.
1: And I know you haven't necessarily done that formally, but you're very conscious when you do lead to be asking the questions of all the people around you so that you feel like you're getting a well-rounded response.
0: Yeah. And so um, the when you want to do it formally is when you have probably a large enough structure like part of it is it's hard to keep it anonymous if everybody knows everybody really well Mm -hmm. (laughs) or if they only have one peer one leader and one subordinate right (laughs) yeah because then it's like oh jeff always clicks his pen it's like okay that's obviously the guy i share an office right
1: (laughs) yeah and if that's something you want to try i'd say definitely bring in a third party for that, yeah, for the um, help with it, yeah, yeah. Speaking of what, are a couple things I know this is kind of a hard shift, but what are a few things that you're excited about right now, specifically with legacy builders?
0: I am very, very pumped about the fact that we get to help organizations, specifically nonprofit leaders, to double or triple their funding by building strong, powerful, giving communities. It's what we do best, it's the thing that we care about the most. We love seeing cohesive, strong community form, and then the power that that can bring to an organization when they say, hey, let's not just be really, really tight knit and like link in arms together, but let's also financially contribute. And we've seen amazing things happen when those two are married. And I think a lot of uh, organizations emphasize one or the other. Mm -hmm. You know, but really, it's when they are linked and they're linked correctly and linked well that they succeed and thrive. So, I'm really excited about that because I get to really spearhead the community side of what we do with Legacy Builders, and Lisa gets to really spearhead uh, the fundraising side. But we both have a lot of experience in both.
1: Yeah, and we love both talking about and integrating the right vision like you have your vision but how do you communicate that in a way that builds community and also builds up the fund rate like it's just so exciting
0: I yeah and so that. um the thing the thing specifically that i'm looking forward to is we're really close to launching a six-week course that goes into greater deep detail about that a six-week webinar course as well as um Lisa just, well, we just, I keep saying you, but we just launched this financial course that's available. Um, It's a great opportunity for organizations to start building community and the financial strength of their community Mm -hmm. and the financial know-how and wisdom of their community. So that way they can move down that line. Uh, a little bit more yeah. so and and you can find out more about that stuff obviously on legacybuildersinternational.com dot legacybuildersintl.com
1: all right ted uh, one final question what does the idea of building a legacy mean
0: to you building a legacy for me is the idea that 10 generations from now like i lisa's answer last week was a bit more noble than mine but I have to be okay with this being my answer. Otherwise, I'm being dishonest with myself.
1: Hang on. That's actually really good. If your why is for other people, it's not going to work. Like, you have to have the why that's honest for who you are. So, go ahead.
0: So, last week, Lisa had said something about if if she's not even remembered, but, like, she made impact 10 generations from now, that's exciting. Per- personally, for me, building a legacy is all about I want my great, 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 great grandkids to have stories about great, 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 great great Grandpa Ted. And I want them to be able to talk about how influential he was and how much he changed the world and how much he impacted our family and how like things were one way with the family up until that point and now things are like this. And I just... I dream of that, and I know that I'm never gonna get to actually see that. Like the whole point of that is that I'm dead. <laughs> six gen, look like six greats. That's not gonna happen <laughs> unless cybernetic implants. Just saying, put my brain in a monkey and keep me alive. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that got weird. But um, that's get weird. No, I just and and I care about the financial piece of that, like the financial wisdom that my you know my. Not my ancestors. My descendants Mm -hmm. will have. I care about the faith legacy that my descendants will have. And I care about the philosophical and the things that are important. Just the belief systems and structures that they're going to have. That's what building a legacy means to me. And everything about our lives really needs to be focused on trying to make that happen
1: awesome uh ted where can our listeners find you and throw out your youtube channel info too oh, Really? Okay. well you okay. talked about it i They're suppose i should.
0: yeah so um well first of all we want you guys to really dig into what we're doing with legacy builders and i mentioned it earlier but go to legacybuildersintl.com. you can also uh reach us over Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Twitter, all of the I said Twigger. That's Twigger. not a thing. Um, all the
1: places, but not Twitter. all <laughs> the places, but all of that's going
0: to be in the show notes. So you don't need to go and like try to figure out all that stuff. Um, but yeah, if you want to know about the YouTube channel, it's called the basement. It's been around for about five years and you all you have to do. All right, everyone stay tuned for next episode where we talk with a powerhouse in the for-profit and nonprofit space about creative ways to change the world. If you want to build the tallest building, don't start building at the first floor. Your legacy needs a strong foundation, and our financial class is here to help.
1: Use promo code 2020 for 50% off. You'll get six months of access to this inspiring overhaul of your finances to build a lasting legacy. Visit LegacyBuildersInternational.com slash courses for more info. That's com slash courses and use promo code 2020 by December
0: 31st.